Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Father Bouquet, our president. Well, Colleen, as always, great to be with you again. It's good to be with you too, Father. And today we're going to be talking about euthanasia, particularly about the situation in Canada at the moment, and then we'll move into a little bit of a discussion of politically how we can stop that from gaining traction in America and um, how we can combat euthanasia legally. Very yeah. good. Well, uh, it'll be a great discussion because this is something that we, you know, any of us who have been following the conversation regarding uh, legalization of euthanasia, whether it be here in the States, as we see in some of the states, or we see in other countries. I think it's just good for our audience just to be aware that, you know, this is another example of the assault on life. And this time we're talking about the disabled, you know, the sick, or the terminally ill. And in a future podcast, we're going to try to discuss the particulars of what people in these situations can either caring for loved ones or um, can expect to, what they can expect. Sure. Um, so that should be a follow-up episode coming shortly. But for today, we're going to talk about it more from a legal point of view. Very so, good. Yeah. Awesome. So let's just jump right in. So you mentioned in your article this week, Roger Foley, who was a gentleman in Canada who encountered um, pressure to euthanize, I believe. So right. can you just talk a little bit about that situation? Sure. I'll kind of pull in two. You know, just the sense of Roger Foley, and then I mentioned, you know, in the column also uh, a Canadian veteran. You know, uh, you know that uh, and there are two links to the story, so that people who are really interested in reading more about the, the these, uh, situation in more in a fuller way, please, you know, consult those those links because that's why we include them. You know, to show people one, we've done our research. Number two, you know, it's usually these kinds of stories that sparks my interest. You know, some people in our audience uh, may have even sent me. Some. So I'm very grateful, you know, the people that send emails or suggestions because uh, there's so much out there that a lot of times it's hard to narrow the focus. But I try to use current issues to, that are out there regarding whether at the beginning of life or at the end of life or those stages in between. This is an example of one where Roger is uh, fully is, you know, dealing with a de de degenerative disease and he's suffering from this. And so and he's in the hospital and he's um, being pressured you know, by the hospital personnel, doctors, those in nursing care, you know, to kind of consider, if you will, kind of pushing, not just consider, pushing him toward, you know, um, this mindset. You know, uh, you know, Roger's going to cost a lot of money, you know, to care for you on a daily basis. You know, Roger, how are you feeling today? You know, do you, do you feel depressed? You know, and, I'm, and I am being a little sarcastic and cynical here with my tone um, because this is exactly what the man's encountering. You know, people coming in, hey, Raj, how are you doing today? You know, just to kind of, you know, putting within the man's mindset, you know, you know, don't you, in a way, don't you feel a burden? Don't you feel depressed by the situation you're in? And, uh, and so instead of, you know, recognizing, you know, that Roger, Mr. Foley has a difficulty, you know, his life is of value. He is of tremendous value, irreplaceable value, and an absolute value, just get, reiterate this. And, you know, but he's being made to feel that his life is being uh, determined by a, a quality, you know, and not himself as a person, but the medical condition that he's dealing with. So, and they're trying to use this, you know, to uh, encourage him maybe to request physician-assisted suicide, uh, and so, which would be legal in Canada. And so, uh, and the other situation is a gentleman that was suffering uh, with uh, post-traumatic uh, uh, oh, don't get that one on, trust stress syndrome. 
PTS, PTS, oh well, the idea here is, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. So I think it's important, you know, or depression. And so it, it's a struggle, you know, that this gentleman is dealing with, which is real. And, and so now he's being pushed, you know, to not only push, you know, but to the point of saying, you know, we can't help you with this, you know, uh, uh, all we can offer you is the termination of your life. Now, so I want you to really, you know, Colleen, to think about this and our audience to consider how many men and women come back from different situations in the United States, serving our country, dealing, you know, uh, with PTSD, dealing with this situation, and, you know, uh, and coming in, and, uh, and this is all that our country is going to say to them. Here, you've served your country, you've done, uh, you've given your sacrifices, you've done so much to advance our freedom, to protect us, you know, from uh, unjust aggression. And this is what we're going to say to you. Your life no longer has value. You know, uh, this, of course, this is not how they say it, but this is the impression. So Mr. Foley, going back to him, is, you know, is in a situation where he is in a hospital. He's in a, uh, in a vulnerable state. And what he needs is care. What he needs is support. What he needs is good counsel. What he needs is for others to recognize the value of his life, but in, and not to have people try to diminish the value of his life make him consider something that is not the answer, you know, to his situation. It doesn't actually resolve, you know, his medical situation. It resolves Mr. Foley, is what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, it ends his life, as we've seen in cases um, with uh, those diagnosed with Down syndrome. And, you know, we've, we've talked about before. So, That's so prenatal, you know. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, but, but it's still an act of discrimination. Oh, definitely. We're discriminating against a person because of a disability, because of a certain situation that they may find themselves in, or because they're in a certain stage of development, you know. So I think it's important for people to see, you know, that what's happening here. It's a quality of life definition that's being applied. Well, and it sounds like they're also trying to make him feel like he's a burden. Like, oh, you're going to cost us this much money to stay alive each day. Like, if you have someone who's already suffering and already sick and they hear that, that just makes them feel like they're a burden on everyone around them. Exactly. Which, just pushes them further down, like spiraling down that road. Exactly, and, and you know, and we need to realize that this is not, Canada is not the only place where you know physician-assisted suicide, you know, is available, you know, and legal. Let's just say not just available, but, but legalized. And so, but I want us, you know, to really, you know, consider the mindset of what this does. So, by mindset, the kind of four things we want to look in sense of direction. A mindset is an approach, a view. So, by legalizing, uh, you know, physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia, what, what do we have? So we have two different kinds of act. An act of euthanasia is where a doctor, you know, is, uh, participates, you know, uh, or gives a person a drug causing their death. You know, physician-assisted suicide is where if, like, for example, in this situation, let's use me, that I ask to uh, be assisted in, my, uh, in the termination of my life, so the doctor, you know, uh, in this situation says, this is the medication, here's the switch, the doctor is not the direct cause per se, but you know, I am. I push this button, I get the injection, or I take a pill, whatever the dynamic is, and so I'm the cause. You know, I'm assisted, but the doctor is not the main cause. And the other is the physician or the acting agent, you know, that's participating there. So in, in Canada, you know, so this is where, uh, not the only country, I, and I wrote them down so that our, our, our listeners really catch this. So Belgium, people would be probably more familiar with the Netherlands, uh, obviously, but Colombia, Luxembourg, uh, New Zealand, Spain, 
And then there are several states within Australia, as there are many states here in the United States, where it is legal. So, euthanasia or assisted suicide, or both? Uh, it, it depends, it could be both. Okay. And so, but in this situation, you see where in different countries, this mindset. So think about what the mindset does. As, so as we know, like with abortion, once something's legalized, it puts into motion a culture in itself. It sets into motion a mindset that life can be determined arbitrarily to have value or not to have value. And so as we see the beginning of life, now we see in here in moments of disability, pardon me, or issues of terminal illness, or a person who just really is, quote, unquote, tired of living. And so this is what we're dealing with. Then it creates a behavioral pattern. This is where John Paul II in Evangelium Vitae speaks about when he gets to the sections on euthanasia, which kind of flow throughout the entire document. But as you get towards paragraphs, you know, 60 and, and following, he really addresses the issue. And so the behavioral pattern, as we see with abortion, with our pregnancy care centers, for example, is our way of intervening, our way of saying we're here, we're here to help you, so you're not alone. At the end of life, we have the same dynamic happening. People who feel alone, isolated, who maybe are feeling themselves burdened, you know, by the illness, by the difficulty, or being made to feel as if they are a burden. So, so in that regard, like John Paul would say, this is where we have to enter in again. It's, you know, supporting those in these situations, being present to those. So the mindset leads to a cultural behavior, which then leads to practices. So as we see with Mr. Foley, the mindset is there. We see a behavioral pattern emerging, you know, in a culture, in a society, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a country in this case. And then we see practices within medical personnel, within those in health care that really should be protecting life, now have a practice, at least with the people that is in this case, I can't speak to all and nor would I try, but there's a mindset, a behavioral pattern, now a practice that begins to happen. So, and then it becomes a direction. And so this is what's happened here. And so in the other countries I make note of, some of them have been doing this now for decades. Even recently lowering the age uh, for those that can ask for euth euthanization, or to have a physician to help them in that process. So it's arbitrary. It, it's never respectful of human life. It, it's always an intrinsic evil in itself, which we've talked about before, and uh, what that means, that in and of itself, it cannot be chosen because it is an evil act. It is a disrespect toward human life. It is a disregard to the respect that is owed to every human person, regardless of their state in life, regardless of a disability, regardless of their stage of development. So. I, I say this so that it, it helps us to understand what we're up against. And, and as the countries, very tragically, who have already embraced this, or who are growing that uh, availability, or other countries like here in the U.S. that are making this mindset more readily available legally, this is not a good coming. This is something that we need to, uh, to address. And that's why I took advantage of the articles uh, in the AP on Mr. Foley and the one I picked up on the Canadian veteran just to show, hey, look, this is not far across our border. So wake up, people. Well, and it sounds like the medical, it sounds like it's like the overtaxed health system that's part of it too, that they have a large aging population and then they're trying to force this on, you have an older population and they don't have the medical system to deal with it, so now they're pushing it more. But um, 
I think you also mentioned that it was legalized in 2016, and when it was legalized, it was narrow, but since then, the floodgates have just burst open. Right. Which is obviously, whenever you get that little foot in the door there, it's going that's to... Correct. And, mean, and that's a good thing, Colleen, to say, because that is always and has been the case. You know, once you, you, you put that little toe in the door and you try to keep it narrowly focused, we know the practice has been, it just opens the door completely. And that's what happened in Canada, and that's what's happening even here in the States as well. well. And I know when you mentioned in your article that there was a recent legal development. Can you just go into a little bit of what might, is about to occur in Canada if Trudeau's um, government goes through with that? Yeah, I mean, if this, if this uh, obviously, you know, basically it's just, uh, it, I don't want to say it was, but it's, it, it, there's, there's no limitation. You know, that's just basically what's going to happen. Okay. You know, you, uh, is that if, if once this, um, this mindset, you know, begins to move, um, you start seeing where, uh, in, as, as Trudeau is wanting to advance, is that this it becomes a limitless uh, possibility to people. Because he's opening it up for the mentally ill, I believe. Is right. The so that's what, so it, it, exactly. So yeah. what it's done now is so again now we, we we're we're choosing a particular segment, which is really an act of discrimination. You're discriminating against a particular group of people, who for whatever reason are in some type of cognitive disability. You know that could be caused you know, from, uh, from birth in a sense of a genetic disability, or it could be something that happens because of an accident, a stroke, you know, so many dynamics that occur. But what Mr. Trudeau is doing here is very simply what the culture of death does. It is arbitrarily determined who has value, who does not have value. And who is the arbiter in this situation? It is always, Colleen, the person with power. It's always the person that exercises power over another human being. And so government should not be in any, any place in that kind of decision-making, nor should a person who's a doctor, you know, uh, in that situation, who has authority. And so, but let's peel it back further. This is never an option anyway. We should never, ever be in a situation where a life is determined to be of value. Every life is of value. Every life is of value. This is what we mean by human dignity. And it's never lost, Colleen. You know, whether a person does struggle with a mental disability, whether a person is, you know, uh, now a handicapped and, and I mean, for other reasons, you know, uh, a person of elder age or a person who's in a traumatic uh, accident and has lost their ability to function physically, you know, or maybe could be, you know, completely paralyzed. You know, these are just a few examples, but this is what's out there. So, but I, I, I'm wondering, you know, to our brothers and sisters across the border, you know, when they hear Mr. Trudeau say this, what comes to mind? You know, what, what, does anything really say, wait a minute here? You know, why all of a sudden are we, you know, are we opening this door? But you mentioned something, Colleen, that I, is also part of this conversation, is healthcare in general, mm -hmm. the cost of healthcare. You know, what is it actually costing, you know, to care for individuals? So that makes this conversation, you know, become more uh, uh, current in a sense of how does government, how do communities, you know, care for our sick, care for, care for our elderly, care for our handicapped? The answer is never euthanasia, euthanasia and it's never physician-assisted suicide. But there is a legitimate question about how do we care? How do we pay for such coverage? What are our limitations? But, but those are, that's a different question that needs to be addressed and how we address it. But never should it be, be thought that the way to resolve those questions is by taking the life of those human beings that are dealing with and suffering with those difficulties. So that's what needs to be said. 
And, exactly. And it's the root of the problem. Exactly. Like the root of this problem is that you need to figure out a efficient, not efficient in like the like machine, but efficient right. as in a way to care for people that is, I don't want to say cheap because that doesn't make it sound good, right. but in a way that isn't, in a way that's reflective of their dignity in a way that they can receive the support they need without it being a burden on other, not like they, not like they're a burden, but the care for them could seem like a burden mm -hmm. because of the financial costs. So a way to alleviate the financial burden without eliminating the person. Right. Well, maybe, maybe think of it this way is that every person must be respected everywhere, every time in every situation. Exactly. Now with that said, there are going to be limitations of resources. So it, it means that, you know, the person is always to be respected, always to be served, always to be loved, always. But there could be a fact of just the fact that there is not, there's limited resource. What I mean by resource could be a family's ability. Now, and that doesn't, you know, move us toward euthanization or physician-assisted suicide. It just accepts the reality, like I see in other countries, you know, because of the, uh, of the lack of availability that we might see in a first world nation, which is a question of distribu distribu distributive justice. That's another issue to talk about. But there are many times in countries that, uh, that are still developing where they don't have access to certain medications. They don't have access to, um, to medical health care as, as we do here. Again, that's a very important thing we need to talk about. That's another segment, a, a podcast with the idea here of how do we deal with those injustices. But, you know, I'll give you an example. When I was in uh, doing mission work, uh, in the Yucatan a number of decades ago. You know, a young mother came in with three children. And this is an example where, you know, the, the one of the children was, was ill, and uh, the baby in this case, and with, they were coming for the, the bishop. The archbishop was coming to the village to do baptisms and confirmations. But, you know, the baby was dying because there was nothing within the local medical institutions that could resolve those issues. But if there would have been resource we, in other words, if we had, had an unlimited budget of resource, we could have flown the, the whole family, you know, to the Mayo Clinic or to a major hospital in the United States that might have had a very different outcome. But, you know, the baby would eventually succumb to the illness because there was nothing available in that region to be able to serve the mother and to serve the life of that child in that regard. So the point being is the child was loved, child was cared for, child was welcomed child received the sacraments of the church, was held to the very end because the child was loved. So they did everything possible that they could with the right. resources that right. they had. So it's not, the child is not a burden, the, 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 never to be considered a burden, mm -hmm. and the very fact that, the, that this baby was loved by this mother and loved by the family, and but there was a limitation. Now we can now discuss, you know, later, you know, it's a shame that that occurred because like I said, in other countries, you know, this baby would maybe have lived with the resources of healthcare available. But I think what we're talking about is a whole segment of conversation about healthcare and the rights to healthcare, which really flow from the human the dignity of the human person. But we're going to save that for another day. And hopefully our audience, oh, I want to hear more about that. So we'll come back to that another day. But in this moment, what we're dealing with is, you know, two individuals, you know, two very different, you know, medical situations that need to be cared for, that are not thinking in any regard about ending their life. They're not thinking that their life is a burden. Well, even if they were thinking that, that doesn't make it any. Right, exactly. Like, it's still dreadful exactly. no matter what. Exactly. But, yes. But the idea here is that but they're being made to feel that the only solution, quote unquote, to my situation 
is the termination of my life. Which is so, never the right never, approach. Never, ever, ever, ever. So I think it's important, part of me, that we, that we realize this mindset is, is creating a culture within, with, within the culture. And, and that's what John Paul called the culture of death. I mean, it's, it's, it's setting itself in opposition, you know, to the culture of life that respects every life and, and sees the value of human life. And so we have to realize that this is happening around us. And if we're in different states, you know, here in the United States that are advancing such agendas, it is important for us to fight against this and, and, to, and to recognize this is an evil. It's an assault on human life. Uh, it is never the answer to a person's situation. And even if an individual themselves may be thinking this way, still does not make it just, still does not make it right, and doesn't all of a sudden make something that is evil into something good. You can never cause or hasten one's death, or I cannot hasten or cause my own death. That is never acceptable, and it's never moral, and we should, we should be against this completely as a culture. But as we know, you know, Colleen, because we live in a permissive in, in culture that has embraced, sadly, not everyone, but as a culture, tragically, the culture of death's mindset. And it's changing our behaviors every day. And it's causing practices to occur, policies, procedures, you know. Um, That's and, not truly caring for the person either. It's no. trying to eliminate what they see as a problem. It's not actually caring for the person and helping them deal with their pain or work through their pain or heal their pain. It's right. And it also doesn't call me, you know, no. to, to the equation. So in other words, quote unquote, I've been removed from the equation. But John Paul would say in Evangelium Vitae, it's not about an I, it's about a we. So it's about how we are in this conversation, that this person is not alone, that we are here with you, for you. We're going to accompany you. Pope, and Pope Francis talks about accompaniment all the time. And it's a great word, and it's an important word, that we are not isolated. We should not feel isolated. We're part of a community. We are social beings. We're part of a family. But to be, let's be, be honest here, we have certain segments of our, of our society that now are in the elder part of their life, and they maybe are alone. They may have lost all their immediate family. Their, their close relatives don't live anywhere near them. And so now, in a way, they, quote, are alone, but we need to say, you're not alone. You're part of our faith community. You're part of our community, and you're part of this local community. And that means we have to knock on their doors. What can I do to help you? What do you need? You know, even those that are in nursing care facilities that are oftentimes, quote, dropped off and, end quote, and left alone. Unacceptable. Yeah. This is the, see, we have to change the mindset. Yes. Which then changes the behavioral patterns, which goes, then goes against the policies and practices and, 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 and sets a new direction. This is the culture of life. This is what we're talking about. You're doing the both ends. You're putting the finger in the dike to stop that floodgate from opening up. And then on the flip side, you're trying to build a culture where that's unthinkable. Exactly. And you're actually truly caring for the person as for everything they are. That's and right. not just... That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that these two kind of situations that are in Canada, hopefully, you know, that many people who listen to our podcast, and you know, because HLI is a global pro-life movement and, and, and working in, in many countries across this world, we see in countries where this is not even a mindset. You know, for example, you come into Africa, you would not see this as a mindset. Doesn't mean it's not there. It's just not a mindset. You know, and, but as the culture of death continues to push itself in advance, then this mindset it goes in. 
So you have in cultures around the world where caring for a loved one is, is the mindset. You know, where you, like I was raised, you know, our, our, God, our grandparents were in our homes or shared among the children in a sense of care. You know, my godmother died in my grandmother's home. You know, this was something that was, that was the mindset. It wasn't that, you know, oh, you're going to be over there and I'm over here. No, you're, you, you need care and we're going to be here to help you. And yes, there are limitations. Sometimes we needed to be in an assisted living situation because we couldn't provide, you know, the, the, the level of health care. But it doesn't mean they were over there again. We drove every day. We were in their room every day. You know, we were washing their clothes. We were, we were bringing them food. You know, we were visiting. In other words, it, it, it's important to see the value of family. And, and I have a very dear friend, and I won't say it because if she does listen to our podcast. I'm not going to embarrass her. But, you know, there was a woman that I knew in one of my parishes. She lived to be, uh, uh, I want to say 105, but it might have been 103. But, um, but she um, was married. She was an, uh, an, uh, an army nurse. Her husband died many, they were never able to have children. But um, he had passed many years before. And because of the, this loving friend of mine, you know, who adopted, basically, this wonderful lady. And she lived a very long life because of the love and care. And there was a point where she couldn't be in her own home. And, and so this family couldn't bring her into their home because they didn't have the, the, the setup. But she lived in an assisted living and eventually into a health care facility. But this friend of mine was there every day. And because of that, the, the, the nurses, the staff, the mindset was, Again, and I mean this in a respectful manner, someone's watching. Yeah. Which means this person is being looked after. But that should be the mindset for every person, whether someone's there every day looking after them. That should be the mindset of every healthcare, every attendant, everyone working in those facilities. But we know that's not the case. And it's similar to a situation where there was a former parishioner of mine who had um, uh, suffered from dementia and eventually into uh, full-blown Alzheimer's. And, you know, eventually to the point where, I think I might have shared this recently, but I, please, our audience, forgive me if I'm sharing the story again, but where she had pointed to the point where she would always take her clothes off. Mm -hmm. And she, she didn't know what she was doing. But this woman I knew for almost a decade, very dignified, beautiful lady, would, would have been horrified to know what she was doing. Uh, and so I go to see her and uh, in the nursing facility, and I find her unclothed. So I put a sheet, or I get her clothes, and then I walk my way right to the nursing station. And they were waiting for her. They knew when I was coming. And I said, you know, I want you to imagine, you know, th this is a human being. This is a person of great value. And whether or not she doesn't, take, doesn't know what she's doing, always has her clothes, you have to treat her in a way as you yourself would want to be treated. Think of her as your grandmother, your mother. Would you want that to happen? And they, of course they'd always say, no, Father, but there's no but. There's not a what if here. You know, is that she needs to be treated with the utmost of respect. And so we have to do it for her. And even if we've got to put her clothes on five times a day, ten times a day, we have to find a way to do this. And But that's, again, that's a mindset that we have to create. And, and staff is understaffed. Yes, they're overworked. I, I mean, yes, that's all real. But it shouldn't be all on the healthcare workers. It should be on families and communities to right. be able to step in. And exactly, to exactly, Colleen. And I, and I think that's the real issue here that John Paul was raising, is that, you know, how does it, the, the phrase go, it takes a community to raise a born, mm -hmm. the old adage. 
Well, it does. You know, when, you know, this is, a, again, not to speak of myself, but I was very blessed to be raised in a, in a faith community within a church parish that had that mindset. Mm -hmm. And I was taught this by, by my elders, you know, that they would, quote, drag me along with them and, quote, to, to, their, to homes to visit the sick, the elderly. But I watched these wonderful people care for people that were not related to them at all. But these were parishioners. These were friends. These were people that they saw growing up. And they were there for them. They would bring them food. They would bring them, you know, uh, the sacraments and, and build, you know, they had a, needed a handicap ramp. They built it for them. If they needed a bathroom fixed, they fixed it for them. In other words, it was care. And we, in a way, I'm sadly to say, we've lost this, uh, you know, not across the board, not completely. You know, the great people out there, beautiful people doing wonderful things. But, but as a country, as a nation, I think we have lost that mindset of my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Well, everyone's my neighbor. You know, we've lost that, Pauline. And I think that this kind of reality in the story that I mentioned about Mr. Foley and the veteran from Canada, and we can put many names in here, you know, just tells us what's been lost and what's been replaced, what's replaced it. And I can tell you, it frightens me. Yeah. This mindset really frightens me because I could be in a situation that where I completely am dependent upon the care of others. And, you know, I'm not married. I don't have a wife and children. You know, I have family, I have friends, but you know, there, there's a limitation to what they can do. You know, so there is a fear that many people right now have. What happens to me? In, Especially as society gets more isolated and you have a little bit of like the mushroom population where the older generation, there's so many, and right. then there wasn't because of abortion and contraception and sexual revolution and all that, it's kind of narrowed down the number of kids people have had. So you have a smaller right. subset or a smaller set of younger people who are trying to care for a large set of older people and trying. So I think it's a challenge for us to make sure that we're actually right exactly. there for the people in our communities. And when you add also to that, Colleen, that the fact that we are seeing less and less practice of faith. Yes. So, I mean, what I'm talking about and what you're talking about is a woman of faith and a man of faith. That really shapes my mindset. You know, our religious values, our core values shape us. They shape how we approach each other, how we approach other people. And, and so, but as that also, you know, lessens, it has an impact. And what you said, and you know, uh, when I was being raised, we all lived relatively near each other. We live in a very mobile culture today. And um, an isolated culture right. as well. And so it's, and, and, and I remember in parish ministry, many times in visiting the homebound, they would say, oh, Father, I would never want to be a burden. And boy, I, I jump on that real quick and correct the mindset, you know, that it, it, we should never, ever feel or be made to feel. So it tells you it's out there. I mean, and it, it's, it's very much a part of what people are thinking as they become older and more isolated and even more dependent. I mean, I think all of us, you know, and I, I, saw, I saw this in caring for, you know, a, a terminally ill priest and caring for older priests and having had the joy of caring for some of my older mentors, you know, that I'm very blessed to have had the privilege. And, and I watched them go from very independent men to very dependent men. And it was very hard. It was hard for them, you know, to want to lose his sight, not be able to drive, not be able to go where he wanted to go. It's very frightening, you know. And, you know, but these men were men of faith. They, they trusted and believed. And look, they were well cared for. I mean, the community came front and center, you know, so uh, that's what I'm saying, it's, it really is, our faith does really shape us, but, 
But the reality of being alone, the reality of being dependent, having someone to bathe you and clean you, and it, it's, it can be a very difficult place and, and somewhat embarrassing. So at, but at that stage, you know, yes. talking about that. But we, we, that's why I'm saying all this is part of this. But this is, again, where we come into the conversation. And I remember just a, uh, another story. My, my dad is an example. You know, I remember uh, this wonderful gentleman that was not a family member, but, uh, but needed extra care. And because of his size, it was hard for his family, his wife and others. My dad would go twice a day, bathe him, help them. And it, this, this, so as I'm saying, I'm, I'm very fortunate, blessed, you know, to have been given example, you know, that my dad went out of his way, you know, to, and not because of an obligation, but because he cared. I remember that we had the same thing growing up. Our neighbor was elderly and lived alone and had no family. And I think his house, it had running water, and I think it had electricity, but it was like knob into electricity. This was, he, he cut his lawn with a push mower that wasn't electric. It was right. just like... Manual. Yeah. Exactly, manual. <laughs> so he had the bare minimum. And I remember his uh, caretakers, the nurse that would come and check on him, coming over one time when I was very little to ask my dad for help because he'd fallen and she couldn't pick him up. And my dad's like, yep, we're going to go over and walked over and helped him and my family would just do what they could to keep an eye out on him and make sure that I think there was another time that he'd fallen that my dad went to go check on him or something but just having that example at a very young age because he died when I was about seven but isn't it a blessing to think about you're you're we're sitting here yeah because of the example of others who showed us a value and and, and we and we can't ignore that I mean this is why you know what John Paul is saying is so beautiful that you know that when we have this kind of mindset and this behavior becomes a part of us, it becomes, uh, uh, we witness to others. And then we ourselves become an example that hopefully inspires others to become more involved. And you're, we're sitting here because of their witness, because of the example of others. I mean, we could have rejected it. We had the freedom to do so, but we didn't. We realized that this is a great value. And so here we both are, you know, here to defend life. We're here to talk about the beauty of human life. And here we are talking about a subject that's very real to us because we saw it fully in front of us. Like the example that your dad gave and the example I just gave. That is what we have to advance. So, and this is the challenge, I think, before the, the culture of life. I mean, we have uh, many preeminent issues. The assault at the beginning of life is one of these major issues that we have to keep addressing, and we are. But now that we're, the assault is an aging population, as you just noted, where we have an inverted pyramid, you know, a population pyramid, where we have an older population and a younger population in smaller amount, how, how do we care for our sick? How do we care for our elderly? How do we care for our handicapped? And so the culture of death says, well, we just can't provide the resources, we can't provide uh, the care that level that you need. So, you know, let's, the answer is euthanize you. Physician-assisted suicide. Very similar to the same argument, differently made, you know, but in the beginning, you know, uh, I, I can't afford this child, I'm in a difficult situation, uh, for many, many reasons that women find themselves in those dilemmas, um, and being pushed in those moments, being made to feel that they're all alone, they're isolated, there's no one there to help them. Story sounds very, very familiar, and it is, because it's a very, very similar story. And as the answer is, at the beginning of life, it is the same answer toward this latter part, or in phases of disability or of illness or old age. The answer is never the death of an innocent, vulnerable person, ever. And so it's, 
and, and I think that's why I'm so passionate about this. You know, and so are you. And I think that's why we're enjoying, enjoying the subject. But we're, we're, the, the subject is we're passionate about it because it's very real. And it's something that we realize there's something wrong here. And I'm, that's why I bring this subject up many times throughout the year that when I write on this, to keep it front and center. The answer is not. That's why I would say, Colleen, that my suggestion to all of our listeners is, is, is we need to get in touch with local legislators. We need to become more actively engaged. You know, as I've said in this, in this podcast, and I've said in my articles numerous times, when I speak, the church speaks of life, we're speaking from the very beginning of life at fertilization, all the way to its natural end, and everything in between. I'm glad you brought that up, Father, because I was going to ask you a little bit about the legal side of things. What can our listeners in Canada do? What can we in America do? Like, so, contact legislatures. Do you have any other well, there are, there are Helene, there are a number of groups working specifically in this in each country. Okay. So I know of, of, of a number in Canada, and I think people just need to, you know, to uh, Google, you know, uh, pro-life, you know, uh, uh, groups that are working in the issues of euthanasia, you know, or physician-assisted suicide. They're usually working in the same, you know, th- uh, uh, topic, and, and, and become involved. Support them. You know, find ways that you can support them in working with the legislature, working with local government, and fighting against the Trudeau mindset. This is wrong, and it should be labeled as an act of discrimination, uh, you know, and that especially right now, as the one you had talked about, where he's trying to advance against those with labeled, quote, with a mental, you know, disability. Does that include, do you know if that includes, like, depression as well, or? Well, as um, you said in the very beginning, Colleen, think about this. So even if it doesn't say it now, it will. (laughs) The window opens. Because the moment that you make one inroad into arbitrarily decided, because again, think about this, it's arbitrary. Yeah. You know, who's determining a level of, quote, mental handicap here? And that's targeting people at their weakest. You if you're struggling with depression right. or PTSD. Right. That's right. Who, and who have no ability, you know, to fight for themselves. And, you know, and you said PTSD so easily, and I couldn't say it earlier that quickly. So, very good. But it's just <laughs> the idea that, you know, yes, exactly. They're labeling. They literally are labeling. They're stigmatizing. You know, and, and but think what that does in the culture. Mm-hmm. It creates a mindset in the culture. Oh, those people. And that's very, very unhealthy, you know, across any, on any level. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think people need to get involved, Colleen, on that local level and realize that this is not healthy uh, for, for a culture mm-hmm. as, as a whole because that culture of death mindset will eventually move into other areas. You know, so where we begin to, example, you know, it, it sounds fictitious that, oh, this will never happen, but why couldn't we just make a certain age? You know, people need to go back and look at the sci-fi, you know, called Logan's Run. Now, I'm not going to explain it, but anyone of my age bracket will remember that, that particular show. And it was about euthanization, mm-hmm. all right? And so here we are, a certain number of people, arbitrarily chosen, time for you to end your life. So it's, this, is, this is a mindset that we have to fight. So I would say in Canada, here in the United States, you know, those states that are right now do not have this, we ought to find out what's being advanced in the state. Mm-hmm. You know, because the whole culture of death, you know, uh, those advancing this are doing so in, in little ways in many states that people don't even see yet. Well, they change the terms, as always. Like, that's one that you've run into a lot with this. You see death with dignity, you see all of these phrases that are not true. Mm-hmm. And I think even just but changing how people talk about it is changing a mindset. And so even if, 
like obviously fight back on the legal level, fight back by caring for people around you, which you should be doing even if you're not fighting back, but also just making sure that you're using terms that are not just playing into their... Right. What we've often known as euphemisms, you know, mm-hmm. death with dignity, you know, compassion and care. You know, there's so many ways that they try to, 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 to disguise their action. But I want to just play a little bit more clear. I know we're getting, you know, to a, toward the end of our podcast, but, you know, I just want to, you know, what you just said, pick up on, and that is, what could we do at the local level? So... I returned back to parish ministry when I so when when I, in my last uh, diocesan assignment, and that is, how do we visit our our homebound? How do we reach out to our elderly in the community? How are we you know visible? Now, and I'm not just saying the priest. Mm-hmm. Yes, Father is going to be visible, bringing the sacraments. But how do do the people of God? You know, what about our next door neighbor? What about the lady the street over that no one's seen in a while? You know, how are we? you know, engaging. And maybe we need to create a, a 501c3 in our community that it's about caring for our neighbor. Just even call it loving our neighbor, you know? And, and so we, that way we answer the question, everyone's my neighbor. You know, you know, people are afraid right now in this culture because they've been isolated. And, and because we're living in such a divisive culture right now that's being advanced, we need to fight against that. And so the tendency is to is to bunker down. No, the, the, right now the, we, Jesus sends us out. We we have to go out. And so I would encourage people, you know, to form, uh, you know, very active communities within the community that really are looking out. I noticed this in Louisiana, you know, after a major storm, that I, I'm always. It, it shows the beauty of the human person when people are in a vulnerable situation. You know, uh, and there and there's a great need to see so many people come out. You know, they're all hurting. You know, so many have been hit by this massive storm, and but yet here we are. We can do to help you. You know, and and it shows the goodness of people. There's a good nature within the human person that realizes that we have a need. And and I've noticed this. You know that you know someone themselves may have had the same amount of damage. So they get their family taken care of first. They get everything secure, and then they walk over. What can I do to help you? You know, uh, my my own dad. You know, who's uh, you know approaching eighty, and and you know the neighbors were amazed. You know, you know that he's out there. What do you need? What can I help? And so it, it just shows. But he wasn't alone. There were so many people doing that. That's what we need to do in our communities, and 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 we do a good job. You know, when it comes to other ways of advocating. You know, this is one that we need to advocate for. This is an example of, of one among many, but this is a major one that we need to get engaged in. So uh, I would say that's a, one thing I would encourage. And it's a major one, but it's also one that I think that gets neglected a lot. Because it's very easy to go, oh, end-of-life care, babies, right. cute. And then you, or not end-of-life care, pre-early life care. Right. It's very easy to, I think, net, naturally, people want to love small things. But right. then you get to end-of-life care, and I think there's this fear of what if I'm like that someday. And so I think really being able to confront that in yourself and realize that that might be a fear and work through it and just recognize the dignity of the human person. Exactly. And what I would add to that is, is also caring for the caregivers. Mm-hmm. We lose sight of that as well. You know, we have uh, uh, wonderful uh, families who are caring for uh, a person of great need in their home that's not terminally ill, that's not dying from any illness, but may have a handicap and uh, bedridden, you know, and so the caregiver is also someone that needs care. Someone that needs to get a little time to, I mean, maybe for a lady, go get her hair done or go shopping or go to the doctor, you know, just run errands. What can we do to volunteer? 
you know, to go, I'll sit with your son, I'll sit with your daughter, you know, uh, it's, what can I do? I'll run the errand for you, something that you, you need to be done. It's how do we do this? You know, there could be someone, we did this in one of the assignments where, you know, uh, during the summertime, especially, you know, high school students, you know, go cut the grass. You know, uh, you know, family members would identify an elderly person or a person that's been ill, and we would go there, you know, adult supervision, and go there and take care of their yard. Go shopping for them. Maybe there was things that errands that need to go to the post office. It's amazing what these little things do and the sacrifices that people do, what they speak and, and what they say of a, of a community and what they say about people. And, uh, and, and that, to me, is how we fight against that legislation. We have to fight against it from a legal point, absolutely. Voting in people that are going to, you know, stand for the, for the dignity of human life. We need to create policies and laws that are going to respect the dignity of every human life. We need to reject the anti-life uh, legal uh, system that's out there. And at the same time, let's just get practical. Let's get down to the other base levels, and that is, what are we doing in our community? Our food banks are a good example of great work, advocacy. Our clothes stores for you know the needy, very good way of advocating. But there are so many ways of advocating. This is another example. Well, not becoming complacent either. Right. Even though some things may not be legal right now, doesn't mean that they couldn't be down the road. So if you form that culture where that is unthinkable, you can kind of exactly. stop it before you ever get to that. Exactly. Point. And I think that is the perfect way to summarize that, Colleen, because I think that's a great, that's it, where it doesn't exist. Yeah. And I, I know that's what John Paul was mentioning in Evangelium Vitae. That's exactly the mindset. Because then after that, it creates a behavioral pattern. And it, and it puts people into practical application immediately. And then it sets a direction for, for a people. And it sets a direction for a culture. Now, here we're talking about the common good. We're talking about the role of government. The role of government is not to, to, to harm human persons, but to serve human persons and to help human persons to flourish. So, so that is a perfect way, Colleen. That's a, that's a good way that we should title the program. That. That's a good way you know, to do that. And I, and I hope that becomes reality. I feel like most of our podcasts are boiling down to, hey, let's change the culture so this bad thing isn't unthinkable. And that's not a bad thing. No, no. <laughs> at all. It's not at all. exactly what we should be doing. That's, as I said, it goes back to, you know, by John Paul, is, you know, you have two realities confronting each other. The, the culture of life and the culture of death. So you have, and it's interesting, I, I recently did a presentation on uh, John Paul's visit to the United States in 1976, and he talks about this long before, or well, a few years before, he would be elected as the Supreme Pontiff of the, of the Catholic faith, Church. And so what happens? He talks about a great confrontation between two very different visions. And, 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 and this, this Holy Father, that would be, you know, one of the things he would take charge you know, to, to elevate to the, to the universal platform, you know, and everything he did, you know, whether it was the United Nations, whether it was with his pastoral visits to countries, whether it was in his encyclicals, apostolic exhortations, you know, his Wednesday audiences, even to the point of his last visit in the window, you know, to give a blessing, and a few days later would die. A man suffering with Parkinson's, suffering with a, with a disability that from the secular point, would have said, ah, his life has no value anymore. He can't go anywhere anymore. He can't speak anymore. He can't do anymore. They would have judged him on a quality of life definition. But yet this man, with all the, the beauty and dignity that every person has, even in the latter part of life, 
even facing a terminal illness that would eventually cause his death, he stood there with great love and witness to the world. I will never forget the image. It's a powerful testimony. And, and so that's what I'm saying. He, he, he took this to every place. Now it's ours. It's our job now. Thank you so much, Father. Is there anything? Is that you? No, I think that's a great way. So, <laughs> like I, but I look forward. I look forward to talking about this more, Colleen. I yeah. think it's going to be. We we mentioned a number of things that we can come back to, Definitely. and we need to come back to, and I know that we will. So, but let's pray for people like Mr. Foley here. Mm -hmm. Let's pray for the, the Canadian veteran, and let's pray for many other people right now that are in these kinds of moments. And lastly, this I would say this in closing to our healthcare, you know, uh, vocation. Healthcare is in the service of human persons. It is not there to participate in the culture of death. And I would say to all of those in healthcare, is especially, you know, not just to our Catholic brothers and sisters in healthcare, but to all, but specifically to our healthcare uh, workers in Catholic care, is to understand the ethical and religious directives. So what we call the ERDs, the Ethical and Religious Directives of Healthcare, Catholic Healthcare. It's promulgated by the Catholic Conference of Bishops. They can go online and look them up. It's uh, uh, 77 principles of the church's understanding of Catholic health care that begins with the dignity of the human person at every stage. And that's what I would encourage our readers, all, not just those in health care, all of us to be familiar with. Well, thank you so much, Father. You're and welcome. for everyone listening on YouTube and Rumble, please like and subscribe for anyone listening on the audio platforms, please follow, share with your friends. And as always, if you have any topics that you'd like covered in future podcasts, please drop them in the comments. We would love to be able to have podcasts about topics that are pertinent to you. So, thank you. Have a great day and keep on living the culture of life.